before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. If you head over to Bet Online Sportsbook and use our promo code Believe50, B-L-E-A-V-5-0, on your first deposit with the link in the description of this episode, you can place some wagers on NBA championship futures. Now, I'm going to give you three teams that are great value right now. Will they all win the championship? No. Can you cash out later and make a profit? Yes, you can. Denver Nuggets, plus 750, great value play. Philadelphia 76ers, plus 1,400, excellent value play. And the Cleveland Cavaliers at plus 2,500. Will they win the championship? Probably not. They can make a deep run in the playoffs. Bet online, where the game starts. Good afternoon or good night. However, and whenever it is you may be listening, thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy podcast live on the Believe Podcast Network. Except it isn't live because it is, as always, a podcast. Welcome, 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 everybody. It is a fantabulous Monday, February 20th, according to my count. It may not be that according to your count, but we appreciate you stopping in however and whenever it is that you may be listening We've got a fantabulous show coming at you today. I've got all kinds of nerd stats in front of me. I've been doing NBA research because football season's over and my curious brain is super duper excited about the NBA playoffs this year. As you guys know, you were listening to our first show where we recap everything that's gone on in the NBA. It was one of our more popular podcasts of the year. So you guys might be just as excited for this basketball season as I am for this basketball season. And I'm excited to talk more about the NBA here today. We're going to try and figure out who the best team in the NBA is as things stand right now. And I'm going to make a case For one team in particular that I don't think is getting a whole lot of publicity this year, although they're widely recognized as one of the best teams in the NBA, I'm going to make the case for them being the best team in the NBA. So we've got all of that coming up here on the show today. It is me on what would normally be an NFL Monday, but it's an NBA Monday. And so on a Sunday afternoon, I just wanted to throw on the microphones and talk to y'all instead of having guests on the show. We're going to have Bob Nightingale come on later this week. We're going to have Morgan from Australia come on later this week. We're going to talk to our friends from the Locked on Spurs podcast because we have a San Antonio Spurs book that debuts this week. It's available for pre-order now. There's a link in the description of this episode. If you want to pre-order our book on Wednesday, the hard copy books will be shipped out to you wherever you may be all over the world. And on Tuesday, if you order on Amazon Kindle for our ebook, you can read the book. Tuesday, it'll be there in your Kindle library if you pre-order the book today. If it's already past Tuesday when you're listening to this, order the book. It's available now. It's called The Spurs Dynasty. It's about the San Antonio Spurs 30-year run of success and the 10 years that could have been because of everything that happened at the end with Kawhi Leonard. It's a 230-page book. Y'all should check it out. If you want to hear the beginning of the book, Friday's episode is the place to stop off because Friday's episode, we read the introduction and chapter one as part of an audiobook experience that we are creating. Just wanted to get that plug in on the front end before we continue doing some NBA talk because I just wanted to throw on the microphones, talk about some nerd stats, and figure out who are the best teams in the NBA. Since this is Sunday afternoon, I have no idea what happened in the All-Star game. I know there were a lot of cool dunks, 
That was pretty fun. I know that there was a very high-scoring affair, but I don't even know who's on what team right now because they're going to do the live drafting experience for the All-Star game, which maybe we'll talk about that with Morgan later on this week or we'll find a way to circle back to it. I just think it's a cool idea that they're doing the live at the arena drafting the teams and they want to be kind to not have someone get picked last, even though it's impossible to not have someone get picked last when you're doing a drafting system of bench players and starters. Technically, you might get two people picked last, but with the starters one, it's not really as much of a slight. Maybe it is to the people who are the starters. I don't know, but being the last all-star picked would probably feel like more of a slight, and I bet you it's going to be De'Aaron Fox because Sacramento just needs that extra little bit of motivation to be slighted. I bet you De'Aaron Fox is going to be the guy who gets picked last. Let me know if I'm correct in the comments or on uh, leave a leave a review on you on uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. Leave a review and tell me whether or not I was right or not. So, All Star is going to be cool. Mac McClung balled out in the dunk contest. Damian Lillard won the three point contest. I don't even know what happened in the skills competition because I wasn't even watching that one. I, I don't know. I've just, I think last year I was in San Francisco during All Star weekend and just watching it felt not as fun as past years with the All Star game and the All Star Saturday night. The All Star Saturday night was awesome in 2020 when I was in, a freshman in college and you got to see that awesome dunk contest between Derek Jones Jr. and uh Derek Jones Jr. and Aaron Gordon and then the pandemic happened like a month later and it feels like the the pandemic for my money has kind of neutered my enthusiasm for the All-Star Saturday night events just cuz they did the dunk contest at halftime of the All-Star game one time and it was just kind of aight just kind of rushed through it last year's didn't have anything super memorable except the toss off the glass catch bring it down to the bottom of your body and then reverse dunk. This one had cool dunks. I'll give it that. Like the, the quality of dunks are so much higher today than they have been in the past. It was cool, but I didn't really watch it. I kind of watched. I did the Gen Z thing of just watching the highlights on Twitter instead of watching the actual contest. And I don't feel like I missed out on any grandiose experience. They went for the Instagram clips. They went for the Twitter clips and they got it with Mac McClung. Kenyon Martin Jr. was in the dunk contest. I don't even know what he did in his dunks. I think he scored like a 46 on one of his dunks. I don't even know what ended up happening for him in the entire contest because I consumed the dunk contest via Mac McClung doing 360 reverses, dunking over two people with a reverse dunk. And that was uh, the Trey Murphy one was pretty awesome too. But like that was my consumption of the dunk contest was through clips on Twitter this year. And there was a super interesting uh, thing that Bomani Jones did on Overtime Elite on his show, which is on HBO Max and HBO. And it's talking about how like Gen Z, 57% of Gen Z identifies as not being interested in watching live basketball despite the fact that they have more instagram twitter and tiktok followers than all of the other professional sports leagues and there's a a interest in basketball among young people is larger than of older demographics and that's actually the only sport of the major four in america when you talk about uh baseball basketball hockey and football which is kind of an antiquated top four i mean college football should be in this group college basketball should be in this group especially women's college basketball and the WNBA, but it just feels like those sports are kind of niche sports at a certain point. There's only three major sports in America now. It's football, it's college football, and it's uh, NBA, and even college football can be a little bit of a niche sport. And so what's interesting is that there's this interest in young people among basketball And yet basketball ratings are down relative to where they were in 2018. Now, granted, all sports are seeing a rise in ratings in a post-pandemic world. You're seeing more people come back to live sports as the schedules become more routine, as a lot of the pandemic-type traumas and pandemic-type needing to, you know, potentially job search or have extra time caretaking and all these responsibilities that we're pulling away from watching live sports 
now that there's more time available for leisure, you're seeing more people gravitate towards live sports across the board, whether it's football, basketball, even baseball saw increases in ratings year over year. You had that year where everything was together in the pandemic, where you had football, basketball, hockey, baseball, soccer, the WNBA, all going on at exactly the same time because everyone was rushing to get those dollars because they had to, the shutdown for four to five months. And so with all of the cluster around sports breaking up, you're now seeing the ratings go back up in sports consistently. And particularly among young people, there's an interest in basketball. There's just not a lot of young people watching the actual games themselves. A lot of it is consumed through social media content. It's consuming it through storylines in basketball. And I I did the, the quote-unquote Gen Z thing and just consumed the dunk contest and the three-point contest through highlights this year. And that's the first time I've done that, like, ever. I'm always someone who sits down and watches the three-point contest, watches the dunk contest, even as I have as the years gone on, developed a quote-unquote healthier relationship with sports where I'm not as consumed with watching live games or consumed with following these sports to the very most minute details of the Eagles hiring, the Eagles linebacker coach getting hired as the Cardinals defensive coordinator like or, or scouting players who are going to be picked in the bottom of the first round in the NFL draft like I'm not as consumed by sports as I once was, and I think I'm a healthier, relatively happier person for it. It's just interesting to me that with the dunk contest and the three-point contest, I've always been in on it, even if the even if the event isn't as good as it is in some years, because usually it's like every five years where we have a, a quote-unquote like classic dunk contest. It was 2015 Aaron Gordon and Zach Levine. It was 2020... Aaron Gordon versus Derek Jones Jr. It was the Nate Robinson Dwight Howard dunk contest. Every like five years, you have one of the classic ones. And I guess at this point, I'm willing to say, like, if all the dunk contests are going to follow a similar script per se, then I'm cool just consuming it through highlights. And that's something that's never happened before. It wasn't like I had major plans. I mean, I went to go do a stand up comedy open mic. But that wasn't interfering with the three-point contest. That wasn't interfering with the dunk contest. I could have done both. I just chose to not partake in those events this year, other than a small part of the three-point contest. Like I wanted to see what Kevin Herter would do as a Sacramentan and someone who covers the Kings. Uh, you can catch me on radio this week on Tuesday if you want to hear me doing producing uh live radio you can catch that on sacktown sports 1140's youtube channel but like as someone who's here in sacramento kind of the kings like indirectly pay for my paychecks i kind of like wanted to watch kevin herter but like that was the only thing i consumed other than just social media clips of the events and even that only took like 10 minutes and so it's interesting this is the first time that i sat up and decided you know what I, I'm i not going to sit down and watch the dunk contest or the three-point contest, and I thought that was interesting that I went the, you know, what's being ascribed as the Gen Z route of just watching the clips on Twitter and just seeing people's Twitter reactions to the event, and maybe that's going to be a thing I do more often now because I don't feel like I missed anything I had to watch. And if this had been like an Aaron Gordon versus Derek Jones Jr. dunk contest... Maybe I'd feel like I missed out or if it was like that one time Steph Curry made like 20 consecutive three-pointers in the three-point contest, maybe I would have felt like I missed out on something. Other than that, was not, I mean, it's kind of my the whole thing with regular season basketball now. Like, I rarely feel like I missed something in regular season basketball when the playoffs come around, I feel like I got to watch like game fives of these series because there's just so many stakes involved and the whole season goes from having no meaning to all of the meaning in the world once you add stakes to the playoffs. But with regular season basketball, I never feel like I'm desperately missing something that I had to watch. Even that Bucks celtics game, which was awesome last week, and I did actually watch that at work, it's kind of like you have to pay me to watch it at that point because... I'd rather do other things with my time. And I know this reflects a general apathy that people feel Gen Z 
sports fans have towards actually watching the live events. And from a consumerism standpoint, I think this is really true. Like the money is the money is directed towards the attention and the social media clips don't make enough revenue for the NBA as compared to actually selling advertisements on a live broadcast. Selling advertisements on social media does at this current juncture, this might change in the future. At this current juncture, selling advertisements to clips on social media doesn't generate as much revenue for the NBA as actual live broadcasts on not just cable television, but particularly local broadcasts. Like in Sacramento, it's NBC Sports California. In other places, it's Bally. In other places, it's Root Sports or whatever your local um, television partner is for your local team. It doesn't generate as much revenue for the NBA. And so when people complain Gen Z is more interested in basketball, but they aren't interested in actually watching the games. That's a problem when you think about it from a revenue standpoint in the NBA. If there's interest in the sport, awesome for the NBA. And when the playoffs come around, I have a feeling that there's going to be that interest. But in the same way as regular season basketball, I just feel like there's not anything that I'm desperately missing. And this has been now three years where I've kind of been in and out of regular season basketball, even when there's nothing else going on in the sports world. Even as I say, I'm not going to watch crappy Thursday night football or I'm not going to watch crappy New York Giants Monday night football. I still am not like as an alternative going to basketball as an alternative. I'm doing something totally different with my time. And I think that does reflect a general mentality around younger sports fans. I'm not going to generalize and put stereotypes on this. There is data that backs this up. Some of that really interesting data was collected by Bomani Jones on his show, which we mentioned a little bit earlier. I'm going to link that episode in the description to this episode because it's a really interesting show. And you've got to have an HBO or an HBO Max account to watch it. But it talks about Overtime Elite and basketball, Twitter, social media, and trying to create social media clips out of high school basketball players and college basketball players and code word for Gen Z basketball players. There's like 27 of them, maybe two or three will make it to the league. It's an interesting strategy for paying players and creating a professional league amongst high schoolers. There's a really good episode that has data about the fact that right now, 45% of the NBA's audience, I believe, is older than 35, and 47% is younger than 35. Comparatively, baseball is, I believe it's like 35 to 60 or something like that, and then younger than 35. Comparatively, baseball is 32% younger than 35, and 50% between 35 and 60. It's some age group like that. NFL is about 50 to, I believe, 40. I can't remember exact numbers, but I think it's like 48% to 40%. So like even the NFL doesn't attract as a larger percentage of young people as basketball. Granted, the NFL has a much larger fan base than basketball and because of the NFL's booming popularity as becoming like a monopoly over the sports media landscape football gained in popularity between 2001 and 2006 so the people who are in their 20s between 2001 and 2006 are now in their 40s and so those are the largest group of paying customers for the NFL and by the way if you look at NFL commercials and you look at the NFL's advertising during the Super Bowl and during the conference championship games and with some of their music choices at the halftime show it reflects the fact that they know their biggest audience in football is about 45 years old in baseball it's about 55 to 60 years old and in basketball, that number gets younger and younger as the years go along. And now that number, based on the data, is hanging around 35. Granted, it's a smaller audience, but by percentage, their average age is incredibly young. And so there's data there that talks about not wanting to watch the game. And I became part of the trend this year because I decided that I wasn't really going to watch the All-Star Saturday night and dunk contest for the first time. I consumed it through 10 minutes of social media clips, and I didn't feel like I really missed anything. I wonder if that'll be a continuous trend that I keep up with as the years go along.
So, I'm going to make the case today for why the Denver Nuggets are the best team in the NBA. And before we make the case for best team in the NBA, let's talk about why the Denver Nuggets are in the consideration at this point. So, when I was doing research for this podcast, I actually found a really, really interesting data set and a data correlation in the NBA. If you take three statistics in the NBA, which are net rating, which is your offensive and defensive rating, and then the the gap between the two of them, whether you have a positive net rating or a negative net rating, um, based on your offensive rating minus your defensive rating, net rating plus SRS, which if you remember our NFL podcast, this was... If you lined up every single NBA team, had them play on a neutral court against an opponent with all league average statistics, a league average, a, a perfectly average team on a neutral court, what would the point spread be in that game? And they can actually determine what that is based on a whole bunch of fun statistics. It's it's one that's really good at determining how good your team is on paper. If you take SRS, net rating, and expected win-loss record, which is with the statistics that your team is putting up, what would your expected win-loss record be at this point in the season? This takes into account like, hey, remember that game where the New York Knicks were up seven points with 36 seconds to go and they lost to Dallas? They probably had like an 80% chance of winning that game or a 90 or whatever chance of winning that game. So even in a loss, it actually helps their expected win-loss record. Expected win-loss record, net rating, and that SRS statistic that finds league average opponent. If you take all three of those statistics, you actually get really good uh, correlations between who the best teams in the NBA are. For example, the Dallas Mavericks. They are 14th in net rating, 14th in SRS, and 14th in expected win-loss record. The New New Orleans Pelicans, 11th in net rating, 11th in SRS, 11th in expected win-loss record. Toronto Raptors, 13th in net rating, 13th in in SRS, and 13th in expected win-loss record. Miami Heat, 19th in net rating, 19th in expected win-loss record, 19th in SRS. Atlanta Hawks, 23rd in net rating, 23rd in SRS, 23rd in expected win-loss record. Portland Trailblazers, 21st, 21st, 21st. T-Wolves, 20th, 20th, 20th. Phoenix Suns, 12th, 12th, 12th. Lakers, 24, 24, 24. Pacers, 25, 25, 25. It's really interesting that when you look at these advanced statistics through... 50-some-odd games for every team, somewhere between 53 and 58 for every team, you can pretty clearly outline who the best teams and worst teams are in the NBA. And even if someone has one that's different, every team's almost all every team that I found had at least two of the three statistics have exactly the same rating. So, for example, the Golden State Warriors were 17th in net rating, they were 18th in SRS and 18th in expected win-loss. Every team had at least two of the three statistics come up with the same position in the NBA standings, and from that I was able to decipher who are the 30 best teams in the NBA. The most interesting one that I found, by the way, just as a side note, Oklahoma City is the 10th best team in the NBA. That's a, that's a real thing that exists right now. Oklahoma City is the 10th best team in all of the NBA right now. It's kind of wild that that is where they stand right now. And so if you take a representative sample of the entire league, you will find these teams in the top five. Actually, you could call it six because Milwaukee is number six, which is really impressive when you consider Chris Middleton hasn't played at all for them this year, and they're still one of the six best teams in the league as Giannis has the highest usage rate of any team in the sport. But Milwaukee is six, tied for fourth because uh, they have a blend of fourth and fifth place finishes are 
Memphis and Philadelphia. Philadelphia is fifth in net rating, fourth in SRS, fourth in expected win loss. Memphis is fourth in expected, uh, fourth in net rating, fifth in SRS, fifth in expected win loss. Number three is the Denver Nuggets. Number two is the Cleveland Cavaliers. And number one is the Boston Celtics. So through 50-some-odd regular season games, the Nuggets have been, statistically, the third-best team in the NBA. And the thing that's going to change as the final third of the season plays out is injuries and players coming back or going away due to injuries. Kevin Durant being inserted into Phoenix will make them better than the 12th-best team in the sport, according to these uh, advanced statistics. Inserting Carl Anthony Towns on the Minnesota Timberwolves will probably make them better than the 20th best team in the NBA. Subtracting Zion Williamson from the Pelicans likely moved them down from the top five to number 11 in just the 20 game stretch that Zion has been out combined with Brandon Ingram being out for over 30 games this season. Those injuries probably had something to do with the Pelicans fading, and dependent on whether Zion comes back or doesn't, the Pelicans might move up or move down, because these data points are strictly based on this regular season. Beginning on Game 1 through whatever Game 50-something that teams are playing right now. So, statistically, we have the evidence that backs up Through 50-some-odd games of the season, Denver is the third-best team in the NBA. And Cleveland, who's second in this statistic and has had a remarkably healthy season, Cleveland is the four-seed in the Eastern Conference right now, meaning they would have to play a first-round playoff matchup against the Boston Celtics or a potentially more healthy Milwaukee Bucks team that gets back Jay Crowder and a relatively healthy Chris Middleton. But, you know, Cleveland it might get a bad breakdown due to playoff matchups in the top four seeds. Or maybe they'll get lucky. Who knows? Denver is the best team in the Western Conference by pretty much all of these metrics. I mean, they're third in the SRS ranking, they're third in net rating, and there is one place in, in Sacramento to get record. your local Only sports talk all day long. Live Tied for and fourth local. is Sacktown Sports. And then you have to go down to number eight to find the Sacramento Kings, who currently have the third seed in the Western Conference. But there's five Eastern Conference teams ahead of Sacramento. By the way, one of those Eastern Conference teams being the New York Knicks. Fun fact, New York Knicks happen to be up there at this point uh, relative to the rest of the league. So Denver is without dispute the best team in the Western Conference, and the records bear that out. They're three games ahead of Memphis for the number one seed right now. They will probably lock up that number one seed with uh, about four to five games to spare at this point in the season. There is no almost no dispute that through the beginning of this regular season, Denver has been the best team in the Western Conference. And I am here to make the statistical case for Denver being the best team in the entire NBA and potentially the favorites to win the NBA championship. Now, favorites to win the NBA championship is a little bit misleading because based on all of the data that we have in front of us, with a fully healthy team, Denver should win the Western Conference relatively easily. Only the Memphis Grizzlies, theoretically, are a viable competition to Denver in the Western Conference, based on regular season data points. Only Memphis is a is a competitive team there, because then you keep going down the list. You have uh, Sacramento at 8th, you have Oklahoma City 10th, you have the Pelicans 11, you have the Suns 12, Dallas at 14. The Utah Jazz come in at 15, which is really funny because the Utah Jazz are 15 and the Minnesota Timberwolves are 20. They just made that giant trade for Rudy Gobert that I'm starting to think might go down as one of the worst trades in NBA history. Granted, the Timberwolves are playing for next season instead of this season, and they knew that when they traded for Gobert in the first place. Besides the point, though, Jazz 15, Timberwolves 20, the Clippers are there at 16, All of those teams that are in the gluttony of the Western Conference, I forgot to mention Golden State, Golden State's at 18. All those teams that are the gluttony that we think of as the Western Conference, 
all of those teams aren't actually that good. Like, they're all pretty okay. None of them are actually that good. The Nuggets and the Grizzlies are well and above the rest of the Western Conference, and the Nuggets are a step above even the Memphis Grizzlies. So Denver winning the Western Conference, not really that giant of a surprise. Here's where I'll make the leap for them being the best team in all of the NBA. Three years ago, the Denver Nuggets made it to the Western Conference Finals in the bubble. They beat the Clippers. It was one of the more remarkable upsets at the time because the Clippers were clearly one of the three best teams in the NBA during the regular season. Even post-bubble, they still had the highest odds to win the championship. They had Kawhi Leonard. They had Paul George. Everyone was healthy. They were up three games to one, and they fell apart against Denver, who was, for all intents and purposes, the third best team in the Western Conference that season. Jamal Murray had an amazing bubble. They were the three seed and deserved to be the three seed, and then they made it to the conference finals. Against the Lakers, I know they lost the series in five games. People forget that game two of the Western Conference Finals in the bubble, Anthony Davis and Nikola Jokic scored the final 24 points of the entire game, and the Nuggets were this close to winning before Anthony Davis hit a fading buzzer beater to win Game 2 of the series. And Denver could have won that game and forced a Game 5 where they were a 2-2 series deficit, or potentially have gone to a Game 6, beat the Lakers, and then had a Game 7 to advance to the NBA Finals against a team that would have won the championship outright. So Denver was a great team that year. They ended the year in the Western Conference Finals, one of the three best teams in the NBA, and the following year, Jamal Murray tears his ACL. And Jamal Murray's ACL tear happened to happen in March of 2021, so he was out for two full seasons recovering from an ACL. And when I said said two full seasons, two full post-seasons recovering from his ACL injury, which is just... Brutal luck for the Denver Nuggets. And I was articulating at the time, flip Jamal Murray for an immediate impact player. Even if it's 70 cents on the dollar, flip Jamal Murray for an immediate impact player because your best chances to win are right now with Nikola Jokic. I was articulating that when Bradley Beal was available, they flip injured Murray and all of their draft picks to get Bradley Beal and put that uh, volume scorer around Nikola Jokic. And it didn't end up happening. They ended up keeping Murray and playing it out with the core that they had. And if you remember in the 2021 playoffs without Jamal Murray, they got swept in the second round of the playoffs by the Phoenix Suns, who ended up going to the championship and losing to Milwaukee. At that point, the argument was you cannot win a championship with Jamal Murray, or sorry, with Michael Porter Jr. as your second best player. Now, granted, Denver didn't intend for Michael Porter Jr. to be their second best player. It just happened to be that Nikola Jokic was injured, or sorry, that uh, that Jamal Murray was injured, and they had traded for Aaron Gordon at the deadline, and Aaron Gordon was not as good a player as Michael Porter Jr., And so they come back the next season. Jokic had just won MVP. Jamal Murray is still out for the entire season. They've got a mix of Austin Reeves and... Or it's not Austin Reeves, Austin Rivers. I mean, not that those players are that dissimilar, but Austin Rivers and Bones Highland as a rookie playing significant minutes and Facundo Campasso making his fun passes and being a fan favorite player for the Denver Nuggets. But again, essentially, Michael Porter Jr. is the second best player on the Denver Nuggets. And then they lose Michael Porter Jr. again. And Nikola Jokic, with the sixth seed in the Western Conference, wins MVP. Because if Nikola Jokic isn't on that team, they are not a playoff team. And I say this every year. Player efficiency rating, which is a statistic that best correlates with what we call the eye test. Because even before people were paying attention... player efficiency rating 
17 of 20 most valuable players over the last 20 years have also led the league in player efficiency rating. So that's data that goes all the way back to 2001, now 2002, I guess. 2002 until today, 85% of the NBA MVPs led the league in player efficiency rating. And by the way, the three times that the MVP didn't lead the league in player efficiency rating, they finished second place. Or, in one case, Chris Paul, who got screwed out of an MVP because they gave it to Kobe Bryant in 2008. Chris Paul finished third. So, the eye test best correlates with what we use the player efficiency rating statistic for. And each of the last two seasons, Nikola Jokic led the MVP in player efficiency rating, and it was by a pretty significant margin Last year, he was 32.94. The next closest player was Giannis at 32.12. After that, it was Embiid at 31. And then the next closest player was LeBron with 26. It's a five-point gap between the top three players in the league. And Jokic was a full point ahead of Giannis and a full two points ahead of Joel Embiid when there's only 32 points of efficiency rating. The first MVP season for Jokic, he finished 31.36. Joel Embiid was 30.32, a full 1.04 points behind Jokic. Next closest was Giannis at 29.24. And then you had Zion Williamson at 27. And then the next closest was Jimmy Butler at 26. Jokic has been the clear front runner MVP each of these last few seasons. And this year, he's doing it again where Jokic is far and away the most valuable player in the NBA at 31.88. That player efficiency rating is a full 1.19 points better than Joel Embiid, which means that Nikola Jokic is more dominant this season over the rest of the NBA competition than he has been in the previous two MVP seasons. Nikola Jokic deserves to win a third consecutive MVP, which at this point basically solidifies him as the best player in the NBA. It is indisputable that Nikola Jokic, right now in his physical prime, is the best player in the NBA. And I will normally articulate the fact that the best player on the the team with the best player with competence will be the best team. Just as Giannis, who currently is a top four player in the league, if Giannis is given competence, they will be a top four team in the sport. And they've had incredible competence over the last four years. Giannis was the MVP of the sport in 2019 and 2020. Both of those years, they had the number one seed. The following year, Giannis didn't win MVP. They won the championship because Giannis, the best player in the sport, had competence around him, including a newly acquired Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton, an all-star, and they won the championship. And last year, you took away Chris Middleton and they lost to a Boston team in seven games in which Giannis had more points in a seven-game series than any player in the history of the NBA playoffs. This year's Denver Nuggets team is competent and The reason that that is the case is because the last two playoff runs, their best player, their best player in 2021, other than Jokic, was Michael Porter Jr. And the problem was you can't have Michael Porter Jr. as your second best player. And while Michael Porter Jr. was out for the playoffs last year, for most of the 2022 season, Michael Porter Jr. was their second best player. And when Michael Porter Jr. was their third best player, with Jokic playing at an MVP level, They made it to the conference finals and were an Anthony Davis three-pointer at the buzzer away from giving the Lakers a run for their money in that series in the bubble. What's changed this year is that Jamal Murray has returned and Michael Porter Jr. is the fourth best player on the Denver Nuggets now. And Aaron Gordon, who was previously acquired at the trading deadline in 2021... Aaron Gordon is now the second best player on the Denver Nuggets, irrefutably. We brought up statistics of 
individual performances based on player efficiency rating, which we mentioned earlier is the eye test statistic. And we also went to win shares per 48 minutes, which is another statistic that loosely correlates with who is adding the most value to their team during the regular season. By the way, in win shares, here's the leaders in the NBA right now. So in win shares per 48 minutes, fourth place is Shy Gilgis Alexander. He has 0.229 win shares per 48 minutes. Jimmy Butler is third. Jimmy Butler hasn't played a ton of games this year, but Jimmy Butler is third at .242 win shares per 48. Embiid is only, is slightly ahead of him at .246. So Joel Embiid is four one-thousandths of a point ahead of Jimmy Butler for second place. First is Jokic. He is .318 win shares per 24. That means, based on this win share statistic, Nikola Jokic is 25% more valuable than any other player in the NBA. And in player efficiency ratings, Nikola Jokic is 4% better than every other player in the sport and is 25% better than all but five players in the sport, according to player efficiency ratings and win shares per 48. Other than five to six players in the sport, Nikola Jokic is 25% more valuable and contributing to winning than any other player in the NBA. And in this win share statistic, he blows it out of the water. But I wanted to talk about Aaron Gordon. Win shares per 48 minutes. Aaron Gordon ranks 26th in the NBA. His Nuggets teammates Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. are... Jamal Murray is 69th. Michael Porter Jr. is 95th. And then in the hundreds, you have Contavious Caldwell-Pope and Bones Highland, who just got traded, and the rest of the guys on that team. Compared to the other players on other teams... Milwaukee's win share numbers, Giannis is 16th, Brooke Lopez, who's the second best player on Milwaukee, is 40th, Bobby Portis is 42nd, Drew Holiday is 59th, and then Grayson Allen's in the 60s too. So they have more players. None of the second best players on Milwaukee are better than Aaron Gordon, who ranks 26th in win shares per 48. Boston's second best player behind Tatum is Malcolm Brogdon. Brogdon ranks 34th. Then Derek White, 46th. Al Horford in the 60s. Marcus Smart, Robert Williams, and Jalen Brown in the 90s. I was surprised Jalen Brown doesn't contribute to winning very much in terms of win shares per 48. He's a bulk of that offense because he's an incredibly skilled player. He just doesn't have a high win share number. Memphis, their second best player is Ja Morant. He's 32nd in win shares behind Aaron Gordon at 26. Desmond Bain's also at 33, so you could argue there's a depth play there. But Jaron Jackson, the best player on Memphis, is 19th in win shares compared to Jokic being first. Then you go to Philadelphia. Embiid and Harden are their 1-2. They're 2nd and 11th in win shares. The next closest player on the 76ers is Tobias Harris at 86. So Philadelphia's problem is they got no depth, but they've got two stars. Two stars who, by the way, are only slightly ahead of Aaron Gordon and Nikola Jokic in win shares. Then you can go on to Sacramento and Phoenix down the list as well, but no other team other than Philadelphia, who their problem is depth, no other team has a second-best player who has been as valuable this season as Aaron Gordon has been to the Denver Nuggets and their success. Aaron Gordon being the legitimate number two on the Denver Nuggets and not just being number two on a team that has not put success around Jokic, being the number two and being one of the best number twos in all of the NBA has been a massive bump for the Denver Nuggets. And Aaron Gordon didn't make the All-Star game. You you had a statistical case for him being a fill-in on the All-Star team. Instead, Jaron Jackson got a spot. Instead, um... Lowry Markkinen got a spot, which, based on player efficiency numbers, both of them deserve to be in the All-Star game over Aaron Gordon. 
because Aaron Gordon in um, player efficiency rating is 38th in the NBA, which puts him in the same group as All-Stars De'Aaron Fox and Pascal Siakam and Bam Adebayo with Miami. So Aaron Gordon, you could absolutely make the case for him being an All-Star because some of the players um, in the same group of the player efficiency numbers to Aaron Gordon are Julius Randle, DeMar DeRozan, Robert Williams, Jakob Pertl, who just got traded, Pascal Siakam, as we mentioned earlier, is 35th, DeAndre Ayton is 31st, Bam Adebayo is 30th. Like, Aaron Gordon this year has been as good as Julius Randle playing for the Denver Nuggets. And if Aaron Gordon is putting up Julius Randle-type numbers, that's good enough to win a championship if Nikola Jokic is your number one and your number three and number four are Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. Granted, lesser version of Jamal Murray than we saw in the bubble, potentially a lesser version of Michael Porter Jr. only because he has a lesser role in the offense. This Denver team has a legitimate number two in Aaron Gordon, which makes Jamal Murray a legitimate number three. Again, Jamal Murray ranks in the 60s in both efficiency rating and win shares. Jamal Murray is their number three scoring option and is legitimately one of the 60 best players in the NBA this season. Michael Porter Jr. slides in four and Obviously, he hasn't had the best season, but Michael Porter Jr. is someone who previously was the number two on a team that made it to the second round of the playoffs. And you make him your number four, that's potential and a legitimate number four. That's the leap that's necessary to get from second round exit to a champion. Because when Porter Jr. was their third best player, they made the Western Conference Finals. When Porter Jr. was their second best player, they lost in the second round. Now that he's your fourth best player, that's the step you take to getting to the NBA Finals when you have an MVP-level player like Jokic and a legitimate number 2 all-star in Aaron Gordon, one of the 20 best, twenty to 30 best players in the NBA this season, legitimately as your number 2, and one of the 50 to 60 best players in the sport as your legitimate number 3. Think about the Milwaukee Bucks in 2021, the leap that they took from losing in the conference finals in 2019 to Kawhi, losing in the second round when Giannis got hurt in the bubble, to then winning the championship that that next year. During that offseason, the moves they made were bring in Drew Holiday for three first-round picks, move in Bobby Portis as a center who wasn't on the team the year before, Bring you bring in those players, you, you, um, you moved... Uh, you or wait, did they acquire Dante? Yeah, they acquired Dante DiVincenzo and moved him into a start, uh, starting role during that playoff run. They made the deadline move to acquire PJ Tucker. Like adding PJ Tucker, Drew Holiday was the legitimate change that they needed because once Brooke Lopez was no longer your third best player and Brooke Lopez became your fifth best player with Giannis going super freak mode. They were the best team in the NBA and ended up winning the NBA championship. And that's where Denver finds themselves right now. Denver is, we have made the necessary moves. Aaron Gordon is now a legitimate number two. And we have a championship caliber roster for the first time in the three to four year prime of Nikola Jokic's career. And I believe, since they statistically are the number three team in the sport right now, if they remain healthy with a starting lineup of Jamal Murray, Kentavious Caldwell-Pope, Michael Porter Jr., Aaron Gordon, Nikola Jokic, that team is the best in the NBA. And we have outlined the statistical case for such. They have a top 30 player as their number two, they have a top 60 player as their number three. They have Michael Porter Jr. as their number four. And Denver has the best player in the NBA. They have, for the first time in three seasons, given the best player on their team and their superstar, Nikola Jokic, competence. And we have seen the evidence bear out that they are the best team in the weaker conference. And I will take the next step to say that Despite the fact that Boston has eight players that are ranked in the or seven players that are ranked in the top 100 in win shares, and despite the fact that Philadelphia has two players in the top 12 in win shares, and despite the fact that Milwaukee has 
Giannis, Brooke Lopez, Drew Holiday, and potentially the return of Chris Middleton with a team that already won a championship two years ago, I will make the argument that even among those three teams, and you can put Cleveland in this group as well, potentially, even though I don't think Cleveland will get to the NBA Finals, you can make the legitimate statistical case that even with those three teams, two of whom are statistically better than the Denver Nuggets, both in record and in terms of win, um, uh, what was it, the, the statistics we listed earlier, net rating, SRS, or expected win-loss record, despite the fact that two of those teams are statistically better and the third one is the Bucks, who have been playing shorthanded all season, I believe that when the playoffs roll around, the Denver Nuggets can beat one of those teams in the NBA Finals. It will be a combination of luck based on which team gets there and the fact that Denver won't have to play Boston, Milwaukee, or Philadelphia until they get to the NBA Finals. I believe when they get there that Denver should be favored and will be favored against all three of those teams. And if they are not favored, there is a huge value to be had on a fully healthy Denver Nuggets team to be the favorites to win the NBA championship. Those are my nerd stats. Those are my research. I've made the case for the Denver Nuggets. What says you? Leave us thoughts in the review section of this. Reach out to me on Instagram. Leave a comment when you purchase the book on Barnes & Noble if you want to talk about any of this stuff. Just reach out to me if you've got thoughts on my nerd statistics or NBA All-Star stuff or anything else that you want to talk about here on the Take It Easy podcast. Since I'm going to be a Denver Nuggets guy, I should take the time to make a Denver Nuggets parody song as we get closer to the playoff. That would be a great team to create a parody song for here over the next few days. I've already got podcasts lined up for the next three days, so perhaps I could take the time to write and create a fun Denver Nuggets parody song. Just an idea that I thought of as I'm winding down here. Thanks, everybody, for stopping in. We appreciate all of your support. Leave a five-star review. Download as many episodes as you can. And buy our book. The book's available tomorrow on Kindle. Or if you're listening to this Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, or weeks later, the book is available now. Check it out. It's a labor of love, and we appreciate you all supporting our dreams. We've got four more podcasts coming at you this week. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. And in the meantime, we ask that you, as always... Take it easy. And we'll talk to you again tomorrow.